Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. How are you approaching Advent this year? Are you suddenly thinking, oh crumbs, 24 days, not long to get the presents? I kind of feel a bit like that, I must admit. Are you someone who's thinking, Advent, same old, same old? Or do you approach it in some other way? Why don't you take just 30 seconds, turn to your neighbour and share with them how you are feeling about this approaching Advent season? Over to you for a brief moment. Well, I won't ask you to raise your hand to identify who's who and where the bah humbugs are and where the disorganized group is or anything. You'll be glad to hear. But as I was saying to our children and young people, I really do think Advent is a time of invitation, a time when God invites us into a deeper place with himself. Part of my reasoning for this is that the accounts we read during this season of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of Mary and Joseph, these accounts again and again show God inviting people into something that he was doing that very first Christmas. So over these first three Sundays of Advent, we are going to look at God's invitation to the characters in Luke chapter 1. And through their experience, see what God's invitation to us might be as well. In today's reading, I think there's an invitation to deeper relationship and an invitation to respond. Let's begin with deeper relationship. Do you remember this box from January this year? Uh, upon it are labels I asked the young people to stick on, describing, using the words that would describe God for them. So we've got nice and saviour, good, love, friend, holy, amazing, always there. And I think part of this past year of ministry has included a focus upon adding different words to all our boxes, including mine, so that the box we have God in, the box that defines his character and ways, can change, can expand. And in a similar way, what Luke shares here is not only telling a nice story and retelling a nice story, and it's not simply about God putting the pieces in place for the promised Messiah. It's much more. For on every page of Scripture, God always always invites us to know his character and his ways better. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
the invitation to a deeper relationship was to know that God is a meticulous planner and that he is graciously powerful. Their story in Luke begins chapter 1 verse 5 and Luke shares some of their backstory. We read today, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Luke is being very specific here in naming Herod. He is trying to show that this is not just some nice made-up story, but rather it is rooted in history. This story features a couple who are both part of the priestly tribe of Levi. Zechariah himself is a priest. And at that time there were so many priests that the tribe of Levi was divided up into 24 divisions. And each division would do duty at the temple for one week, twice in the Jewish year. With the rest of their time spent elsewhere and in regular work. So what is about to happen, happens on one of those rare occasions when Zechariah was serving at the temple. We then hear another part of their backstory. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. This couple are described as righteous, blameless. So a better couple you could not imagine. Now they are not perfect because who is? But they did serve God faithfully. Yet we also learn that they were childless. And at this time people understood that to mean they had maybe displeased God. Maybe because of sin. And so it was often seen as a disgrace upon a couple and particularly upon the wife. However, Luke wants to help us understand that this is not the case here. That what we have here is a very faithful couple, and yet they are not able to conceive. But that has nothing to do with them being in the wrong. Additionally, by saying that they were both very old, we're to understand that they were so old that they and everyone else did not expect the situation to change. So here is this couple, incredibly faithful, but with deep, unfulfilled longings. And in their faithfulness, Zechariah reports for duty. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The incense offering was made twice each day and the choice of the individual was decided by casting lots so that human will was circumvented and the divine will could be ascertained. This was really important because offering the incense was a great privilege for the chosen priest went into the holy place, that area once removed from the most holy place. And what is more, a priest could never enter and offer incense more than once in his entire life. And some priests never received the privilege. To have the opportunity was a great honor. And these are details that Luke includes, not just to fill out the story, but to give us clues to something more. 
Luke wants us to see that this seemingly random fall of the lot to Zechariah was something designed to set the stage for a fresh entry of God into this couple's lives. For as we read next, something incredible is going to happen. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Such good news. Good news for the couple. They will have a son, a son who will bring them and others great joy. And he is to have a special place in God's plan. For as we read next, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This child, John, is to be tasked with bringing many of Israel to God so they are prepared for the coming Messiah. In a nutshell, John is to call people to repentance. He is to call them back to God and God's ways, which was a characteristic of the prophets like Elijah. Now this repentance isn't about being more religious or being more nice or giving lip service. No, this repentance is to have a day-to-day impact for family life will be radically changed. And all people will have a firm commitment to a way of life that honors God and heeds His priorities, His wisdom. In all of this, From verse 5 to verse 17, we are told not only a nice story, we are invited to see the meticulous planning of God. For God was guiding the events of history so as to prepare the way for Jesus. And he did this because we are that valuable to him. The Apostle Paul reminds us that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The time was right. At roughly the age of 33, for Jesus to die, demonstrating God's love for you and for me. But roughly 34 years before that point, the time was also right for God to fulfill his Old Testament promises and weave together the events of history so as to prepare the way for the Son of God to come as a babe. God did it all for love of you and love of me. We're told in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There was no cross, no death of the promised Christ and Messiah 
without first the Son of God being sent from heaven to take the form of humanity as a babe. God did it all for love of you and love of me. And in that love, he put the pieces in place. For God is a meticulous planner, fulfilling his promises and making a way for us to be saved, to be forgiven, to have eternal life by having a heart prepared for the Lord, open to the Lord, given over to the Lord. But Zechariah and Elizabeth's story also gives us a second facet to God's character. For he is revealed as graciously powerful. Earlier we read these words. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. I skipped over the words in blue on the second line, and I read it first time round. Your prayer has been heard. That's what I skipped over. When we read those words, what did you think that prayer was for? For a child? probably. Certainly when I, I read it first over, that's what I thought. It's the most likely thought to have, I would think. But a few commentators highlight that the language here suggests a one-off prayer rather than a regular prayer. And also, it's unlikely that such an honorable priest as Zechariah would bring a private concern at such a special moment where for the first and last time of his life, he enters the holy place. It's more likely then that Zechariah prayed for Israel, for Israel's redemption, for that promised Messiah to come. But what's startling in that case is God decides to answer both the spoken prayer and the unspoken prayer. Both the prayer for Israel and the secret desire of Zechariah's heart. In his grace, God answers both of Zechariah's longings. And so rightly, Zechariah and Elizabeth are to name this child John, which means God is gracious. He gives generously, generously does God. He gives beyond expectation. He gives unearned, unmerited gifts. What is more, we see that God is not only gracious, but he is powerful. It's almost in this story like God wants a challenge. I kind of imagine God almost saying, I'll use a barren couple, but they'll be really, really old. And I'll only appear to them when Zechariah, the lot falls to Zechariah. I mean, what are the odds of that working out? But God never makes a promise he can't fulfill. God always delivers, for he is able to fulfill any promise he makes. And he most powerfully showed that, not just through John, but through Jesus, the Christ child, whose odds of fulfilling even just the prophecies of his birth are inconceivable. And yet he did, for our God is like that. Our God is graciously powerful. 
this grace and power were also shown in the cross of Jesus. Where in generous, unearned, unmerited gift, he gave his life for you and for me. And he died, as Paul says, while we were still sinners. While we were telling God to get lost and to take a hike. To die even then. That's true grace. That's love. But his death was not simply a display of love so as to captivate our hearts. His death was also to achieve something much more necessary and vital. For in the death of Jesus, the power of God was at work. As one hymn puts it, no guilt in life, sin is forgiven. No fear in death, an eternal home is secured. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. At the beginning of the Advent story, God reveals himself as a meticulous planner full of grace and power. He extends an invitation to know this of him. He extends it to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he extends it to you and to I. But this story also includes a second invitation, an invitation to respond. For in the remaining verses of this portion, we read that there is a great contrast made between Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see one who is closed and one who is open to God's invitation. For we read of Zechariah that he said, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. To all intents and purposes, it's a very reasonable question. But it belies the state of Zechariah's heart. For even confronted with the angel Gabriel, Zechariah responds in unbelief. He's closed off. He is unprepared for God to move in grace and power. In contrast, not one negative word is said about Elizabeth. And maybe it's Luke's way of helping us see that she responded differently. And never once does she come across as bitter or forgetful. Rather, she is consistent in honoring God and in responding to his gracious hand. For as she said at the end, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor, his grace, and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the contrast of these two very real individuals, God issues an invitation. Will we respond like Elizabeth or like Zechariah? Am I someone who has a soft, responsive heart towards God? Or am I someone whose faithfulness to tradition and to what I know 
is closing me off to the possibilities of God and keeping God in my box. Now, if you are like the latter, if you're a bit more like Zechariah, there's still good news. For just like Zechariah, God doesn't give up on you either. He might not grab your attention quite as dramatically, thankfully. But if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, it will be possible to perceive the ways he is extending his invitation even now as I speak. And he is awaiting your response, awaiting for you to respond even now. Friends, as we begin Advent, and remember this portion of the Christmas story, please don't let it just wash over you. Try to come to it afresh. Notice the details of God's meticulous plan for the coming of His Son in love for you. And let His grace and power so captivate your heart that you respond to his invitation. May it be so. Let us pray. It would be wrong of me to rush away from this moment without giving all of us, including myself, an opportunity to respond. And so in the quiet, with our eyes closed, let us come before God. For He is here. And He is waiting for your response this morning. This is not just to be a time in church or a time to get through the sermon. He has been knocking at the door of your heart and you have a choice now to make. Do you open it or do you keep it closed? The choice is yours. You may simply want to say to him, God, I open myself to you. You may want to find other words. But do business with God here and now. Let's not rush this moment. Because Advent's busy enough. Heavenly Father, we hear your call. We hear your call to deeper relationship, your invitation to know you afresh this Advent. Lord, we've seen many Advents come and go, but may this one be different. 
May this one take us deeper with you. May this one open a new chapter in our journey with you, Lord. Maybe for you to no longer just be a name or words on a page, but for you to be very real and present to us this Christmas. Or Lord, maybe there's a new door to open into a new chapter where we we get new words and ideas about you or we let you into any area of life we'd rather you not go to. Lord, may we not be Zechariahs who respond in disbelief and keep the door shut, but may we be ready for that invitation. And even with trembling hearts, to open that door that little bit more to you and see where you might take us on that journey this Advent season. For we pray this in Jesus' name.